Hello and welcome to the Spotlight Podcast. My name is Christina Kerr. I'm the content manager at Spotlight. And today we are talking all things voice work and accent work with Nina Sendejas. Nina is just a really joyful person who works in voice, as you'll hear shortly. She's currently the head of voice at Italia Conti Academy of Theatre Arts in London. And she's also a voiceover artist in her own right and a freelance production coach. She's worked all across the UK and the US. And we're going to talk all about getting into character with your voice, managing accents, and how to switch between accents quickly, amongst lots of other things. So take a listen. Nina, thank you so much for joining us on the Spotlight Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's been quite a marathon day for you here at Spotlight. Yes, Uh, it has. (laughs) You've held a few sessions with us as part of our open house um, on character voices. Uh, and then you just did a session on English as a second language and moving into RP. Yes. So, and you're doing a session on General American tomorrow. So this is kind of the context that we're in. This <laughs> is why you've come in today. I kind of want to start, though, by asking you about voice work. Were you the kid in school who just mimicked cartoons or something? Like, how did you get into voice work in the first place? I think, as I said, in the character voice workshop, I was 100% that kid. <laughs> um, so I started off being, you know, nerd choir kid mm-hmm. and I went eventually into musical theater actually but as as a younger kid moving into sort of young adulthood I was pretty obsessed with cartoons and I would always sit around and be the weird person that didn't mind about making strange sounds in their bedroom I'm pretty sure my parents thought strange things but here we are today <laughs> so it worked out in the end and um, I think it's just important to remember to always keep playing because kids just have that freedom don't they yeah and um and we do too if we give ourselves the chance and uh it really makes a difference especially when you're attempting to do anything more advanced than sort of authentically represent yourself when you have to go into extremes and be versatile it really makes a big difference that sort of mental freedom absolutely you mentioned doing a dissertation in fact in character um, I did. Voice. Yes. <laughs> I kind of want to ask you, how did you train? Like, how did you gain the skills that you have now in voice work? Right. So um, I did, first of all, I first went into opera. Um, mm. I did one year and then I quickly realized I wasn't in love with opera, but I was <laughs> in love with singing in general because I did 12 years of sort of choir. And um, and then I did uh, one year of opera, switched to musical theater that wasn't as easy as it made it just sound. Um, but I did eventually switch into musical theater. And I attended uh, the Boston Conservatory in Boston. So I did a Bachelor of Fine Arts there. And then uh, through those four years, I um, we always did voice and speech. So right. we did a four-year progression of that. And I was really interested in that work in particular. At first, I was that person that was really not very into it. I think I remember being semi-furious at one point and then I was kind of in love with it and then you couldn't separate me and I actually invented my own emphasis in senior year which was allowed we kind of did (laughs) we did like acting emphasis or singing we basically spent longer on on topics we loved um, or things that we thought we'd take forward and so I kind of invented mine because that was an option so I did a lot of um, show coaching um, a lot of work with student productions and the main stage productions And eventually, after all that, after my showcase, I also found out I got into the Central School of Speech and Drama, now the Royal School of Speech and Drama. That's fun. (laughs) And uh, I did my master's there. And I graduated in 2012 from that one. And I decided to go back for my MFA because they – I was part of that unfortunate group that – 
it's so boring. But I was event- <laughs> I was basically just part of the group that missed out on the F, the MFA. It did it after right, I left. But because I'm American, that made a difference. So I did it. <laughs> and my first dissertation was on puppetry because I worked with um, I worked with the puppeteers who have an actual uh, bachelor's degree at Central. And I was right. placed with them. And their first request was, we really need a way to safely do character voice work. Mm. And I w- thought to myself, okay, that sounds amazing. I love this. But also, um, how do I get you from, you know, A to Z without completely, you know, well, they didn't have very much voice training, meaning right. they had none. Okay. So, right, because they were puppeteers. <laughs> and it's, yeah, well, right. And you would think, though, as puppeteers, considering a lot of times they'd have to maybe do, I don't know, like um, eight voices at a time. Right. And eight distinct voices quickly while moving behind um, a set, um, while shoving their hands into puppets, I presume, or doing <laughs> some other form of puppetry. Um, you know, they had to do some really seriously difficult work. And I went into kind of the London puppetry scene for a while and I mm-hmm. investigated what was happening. And um, I went to a few of their, uh, Q&A sessions with, um, you know, some of their theaters. And it was really, really cool. But um, I eventually kind of developed a sort of method. It was experimental. And I kind of brought some of that earlier work into today as well. But I've developed it since then. Right. And just to hone in on that a little further, when it comes to actually starting with creating that character, I think you mentioned a lot about kind of just listening and mimicking as a starting point, but then it can't just sort of stay there. Can you take us into that process if someone wants to start creating their own characters or they're interested in that kind of voice work? Where do they begin? Right. So, I mean, it depends on the person. Um, some people work really well with mimicking. Right. Some people, if I said that to them, they'd be like, well... I just shut down because I've tried to do that my whole life and I've had no success Mm. from that. So there's kind of two ways to approach it. You could listen to, you know, awesome, amazing cartoons and and artists that you love, voice artists, and you can be like, okay, I'm just going to take all of, you know, all of my who cares out of the window and I'm just going to go for it. And I'm just going to, in my private space, I'm going to make crazy sounds. I'm going to feel like an idiot, but it's going to be magical. Right. And that's kind of half of the journey. Yeah. Um, you could do it with friends, which would be even better. But if you if you want to do it alone, I'd understand. And the other way is you go, okay, I literally can't mimic. For whatever reason, you've blocked yourself or it's not something you ever developed young. Um, so maybe it might be better for you to actually start with a few um, a few of the techniques I kind of did today, which was, for example, you could start by accessing uh, different parts of your speech. So, you know, you can go extra nasal or um, almost aggressively denasal. So this requires a bit of knowledge, though, right. of the anatomy. But honestly, you could just pull up like an example of the face, mm-hmm. <laughs> a sideways profile of the face, the anatomy of the face, point to a part of you like your jaw or your nose, or your lips. And you could say, you know what, I'm going to almost aggressively activate this area. I don't know what that means, but I'm going to have to play. But I think the main thing is you just kind of have to be willing to play. Right. You have to try it. You do. And at first, you may not get all of the amazing qualities and perfect, amazing sounds. In fact, you may sound terrible initially, but you know what? That's wonderful because Mm -hmm. there may be something within that to develop. I also often myself, I use... um, playback devices so you know apps now for recording apps i will listen um i will listen back to myself constantly and make adjustments because i'm a voiceover artist as well 
and I, I often have to send in sort of self tapes. Yes. And what I'll do is, you know, because they're after they give me like four adjectives, let's say, you know, like mm-hmm. sweet, warm, caring, but strong. And I'm like, <laughs> OK, so you go for that and you have to magically encompass them all. And there's no way to really do it on the first try. I mean, sometimes you're lucky, but unlikely. And so, you know, you just keep listening back. And I think that's also an important thing to remember is you have to kind of get used to listening to yourself a little bit. Yeah, totally. That's that can re- be intimidating. It really can. <laughs> I'm sure when you started doing these podcasts, you were... Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> I, I listened back to myself in the first episode. I was told I was putting on like a, a radio voice or something. And I don't sound like that. I'm Australian. I don't sound RP when I speak. <laughs> but apparently just put on radio voice or something. That's BBC4 really voice. normal. <laughs> Everyone has like a telephone voice. Right. Exactly. You know? <laughs> or the voice you'd use for like your grandparents, but not your friends. Right. Right. <laughs> I call it my Netflix and chill voice versus like, I'm going to get a job voice. Okay, yes, <laughs> totally. Uh, can you give us an example, by the way? You just mentioned the, like ultra-nasal and very denasal oh, yeah. or unnasal voice. Sorry, I thought about giving an example, but I don't have headphones on, so I was worried about blowing out the speakers or anything. But yeah, so a nasal sound, you know, you might kind of do something like this mm-hmm. versus a little still kind of high, uh, this is like denasalized versus like a completely like in your throat sort of sound. You might do that or, I don't know, you might... You might play with um you know a lot of spit through your mouth you might do that (laughs) or you might even do like i'm sorry i don't know what that was you might do like a lot of whispery a whispery quality in the sound might do that almost as if you're like really pressed up against the microphone that kind of thing (laughs) might add a bit of creak that sort of thing and then you might start to play with accents you know so you might start to get in like you know like oh yes i don't know that's i don't know what that was you just go up and down you basically just start to to play (laughs) yeah it's about playing really it is i mean i'm doing it in front of a microphone and I know people are going to be listening back and going, well, that was a funny, weird sound you just made. <laughs> but you know what? Whatever. Life's too short, isn't it? Absolutely. So you, you just go to the extremes and you play with your sort of, um, if you imagine your voice is like a box, you find your edges and you figure out what what's comfortable. And then you start to try to push out of them. And sometimes you may accidentally sort of not actually hurt yourself, but you may feel like you've hurt yourself because you're kind of using muscles you're not used to using. Um, No one is advising you to hurt yourself. It's simply that you would be experimenting with the outer edges of your comfort zone. So it's likely you're going to overstretch yourself on the first couple goes. Right, because it's a set of muscles just like anything else really that you're you're pushing into. And that kind of brings me neatly to something I wanted to ask you, which is about oral posture. You kind of mentioned this uh, concept that we all have an oral posture and you're sort of playing with the dimensions of that or pushing into different postures. Can you explain that concept a bit more? Sure. So this comes from work with a lot of different sort of methods of um, accent and dialect work. Um, but I was referring kind of pretty specifically to Knight Thompson's speech work. Um, the way that it in essence works is that, you know, all of us have um, a set of habitual tensions Right. So it's a habit and it's a tension. Now, tension usually has a negative connotation, but it's not always negative. I mean, we kind of need a little bit of tension to live, otherwise, to stand, right. for example, otherwise we'd be like on the ground. Just jelly. Maybe jelly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, and so, you know, you do need a little muscular effort or tension to keep things moving. Um, so, you know, don't worry too much about it being a negative concept, but sometimes it can get in the way for people. But, you know, if you're used to tensing your lips like this, and then if you're also used to, like, retracting your tongue, maybe you'll talk like this a little bit. I don't know why. that, that I didn't had no idea that was going to come out. Right. But I just kind of leaned in. Um, you could also, like, raise your pitch a little bit and just kind of, like, lower your tongue. And I don't know why I'm – oh, well, let's try spreading the lips this time. You can kind of end up like this. And I just – 
ended up doing something weird again. But there you go. <laughs> I mean, you you play uh, you play with the idea that um, we are a unique setup um, of muscular habits that, of course, is reinforced by who we are as humans. Um, you know, the voice is our identity. The voice is, is who we are. Um, we actually kind of aggressively, I think, uh, or sort of semi-aggressively can protect it too much, I think, um, by almost not being willing to give that control up. Um, this, These kind of exercises do kind of demand you take yourself a fraction less seriously, but also take that bit bravery step of just being like, you know what, I'm going to try somebody else today, or I'm just going to... Um, you know, I'm going to play with the outer edges of what I think I am. So it, it can get kind of serious real quick for some people, but it can yeah. also be just ridiculously funny and hilarious and just, just a yeah, laugh. Totally. Well, it's interesting because there's been an example that was going around about a female CEO who deliberately speaks in a very low husky voice mm. and that's not her actual husky voice. So, I mean, so much about your voice conveys your status and who you are and how you present yourself. Do you think it's actually possible for someone to like literally change how they talk every day? <laughs> Or is that like going too far? I mean, if you want to, I assume you could. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I did throughout my whole life. Um, I mean, I would say yes is the answer to that. I mean, I've had plenty of clients try to come to me and wanting to change their accent, let's say, every right. day, which I don't necessarily recommend because it's just so draining. And um, at some point, you just need to order a coffee. Yes. Um, and so, you know, I wouldn't I just wouldn't recommend it. But. I mean, people do it every day. Like you mentioned that woman, um, you know, I think even you mentioned at the start, you know, you started off kind of yes. radio voice and now you're yourself. Yes. Um, I think we all like right now, I'm definitely not the voice that I would be if I were chilling out with my brother, let's say, versus a friend versus you, um, a relative stranger, um, although mm. very lovely. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and, um, you know, I definitely, you know, we all have our different sort of voices. Yes. And I think they are tailor-made so that we represent ourselves the way we want. Right. A little bit. So, right. yeah, I would say. But, I mean, really extreme. Like, could I walk around like Dolores Umbridge from Harry Potter one day? <laughs> I guess day. I could. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to take a lot of dedication and work. Yes. But <laughs> I don't know if you'd want to. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Just to change track for a second, you also talked a lot about using um, Laban or technique as a voice. Oh, yeah. Kind of a lot of people obviously think of it as a movement technique. Yes. Um, so like a physical way for actors to get into character. What is it about Laban that you use for voice or that you think works well for voice? So, yeah, uh, Laban or Laban, um, which is what I, I learned to say probably from America. But Oh, I don't know. I've heard both. <laughs> I've heard both too. And so it... Either way, um, I use uh, the Laban work um, because it was introduced to me through my master's and it was just awesome for me mm -hmm. and for a lot of people. And I saw kind of almost instant results from actors. They It works really well as a way of defining space. And therefore, so like, for example, you can um, discuss, you know, the differences between punch. You could punch your knee into the air. You could punch your um, your lips forward. You could punch your fist. Um, you could punch your sound. I'm punching my um, my p -p even right. a little bit right now. Yes, punching. I can add extra aggression and muscularity to that sound, and it kind of gives you a real sense of almost a person and an attitude. And um, you could build it into character work and acting stuff very easily. Um, it's it's kind of it's kind of weird, but you can do that. And then you know the other one is you know like the float sort of sound. But the float you know, today float. was like mind blowing because you mentioned Luna Lovegood, and I was just like, Luna yes, Harry Potter. That's, That's totally her. She's a float voice, yeah, a floaty voice. 
floaty voice and you know she's always kind of like that and she da, 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 da. And yes. she's you know and I think there's lots of different um, it's really hard to do a good float I think mm. because you really have to kind of give yourself over to the float and just keep it up you can't like let the end ever die because then right. it's not floating yes. it's dying so you have to kind of really kind of just commit and I think starting physically especially with actors is a really important thing and then because the voice is often I think um, the part where people get a little shy mm. um, I don't know why the body but not the voice anyway I mean I don't know why the not the body but the voice anyway um, so we warm up the body first usually and then we would do the voice work but yeah it connects pretty seamlessly actually um, people really have found a nice way of carving out different characters from that and um, also kind of investigating their own sort of habits as well yeah so like I might have a tendency as an American for example to push a mm. lot of the sound that I push in accent work is like I turn off my voice but I kind of turn it back on it just mm. there's never a stop Whereas, right. you know, other accents don't do that necessarily. Do that. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm going to go home and, like, self-analyze now. <laughs> Actually, Australian and American aren't too different. <laughs> uh, in that respect, I think you're right. Yeah. yeah. Much more similar to each other than uh, most British accents. Absolutely. Yeah. I got you, girl. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, I want to ask you then, you know, you obviously also did a session, speaking of accents, um, you know, about uh, if you're coming from a non-English speaking background and you want to sound more RP, this is such a common question that we get from our members, you know, mm. how to be more RP. And kind of, as you said before, you know, it, it's not, these days, it's not worth completely removing whatever accent you have or trying to get rid of your accent because no. there's such a thing now with authentic casting. So we, we want to hear regional British accents and stuff like that. But I think particularly for European accents mm. coming to English or, or absolute non-English speakers coming to English, RP is like the pinnacle thing that you need on your CV, you feel, as an actor. How, what, well, first of all, what do you, what do you define as RP? And what right. does that so mean? <laughs> defining RP is funny, of course, and um, it's quite smart to ask because it, of course, has been changing for decades. And, yeah. um, you know, the Queen's um, RP back in the 60s is nothing close to what she has now, and nor has it, has it been the same from Victorian to now. It's changed radically. I mean, even Benedict Cumberbatch and Keira Knightley have a couple of, you know, fills in there. They do like little, right. double, like, well, they, what we call sometimes either a vowel substitute or a sort of um, a different consonant substitute. Instead of saying feel, you might say fill. You might right. do something like that. Mm. Um, usually uh, in the older models of RP, that'd be like a wrist slapping moment of going, no, 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 uh, don't do that because that's too close to Cockney apparently. But now it's cool. You don't want to sound like too posh. Right. So it's evolved and changed. Um, there's there's different descriptors of, of the ever-evolving kind of RP accent. I mean, the main thing to just take into account is that it's a living, breathing accent. People are changing it every day. And so the best thing you can do probably is not only watch like TV samples, but maybe also um, see if you can, um, you know, actually, well, if you live here, definitely make friends from here so you can start to obsessively listen to them effectively. <laughs> um, but also just get it because what you don't get from like necessarily from TV or even voiceovers is how people phrase things when, you know, they're having a laugh or right. like like when they're angry or they're emotional. I think the thing that can be very, no matter what accent you're doing, whether it's RP or it's American or it's whatever it is, okay, it 
It's really weird because initially you feel like you're you're not yourself. That can be a reason why some people don't commit fully to it because there's not the depth of their human experience behind it. You have literally done everything in your own language or right. accent. You know, you've cried, you've loved, you've laughed. Um, you have to, in effect, for an actor, replicate that sensation of belonging very quickly. Mm. And so I worked, let's say, with... Um, a, uh, I worked with Lady in the Park, um, which is part of um, uh, Secret Garden Cinemas. Okay. And um, did my first film, of course, I can't do anything easy. It was a Birmingham accent in the 60s. Oh, my goodness. I know, okay. right? No, don't ask me to do it. I forgot. It was like two <laughs> years ago. Um, but it's it was it was really great to do. Um, but this one girl, she had to say the word mom um, in the Birmingham accent, and she was used to saying mom, and it was slightly different. And we had to essentially build a because re- she watches her mother die in this movie, so it's pretty important she says the word right and mm. associates with it so we had to build that connection through sort of imagining while saying the new vowel sound and it was a really strange sort of almost Frankenstein moment where you kind of take two things and mash them together but then it worked and she really connected to it I think I think that's part of it but I think another part of it is simply that some languages literally don't operate the same way as English. Right. So, you know, um, there's, you know, Chinese, which has a tonal system. Um, there's other accents. There's, sorry, there's other languages that have um, a syllabic mm-hmm. sort of stress. So Italian, dan, daran, 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 right. versus a stress-based like English where you have um, a single or a single word you might stress. And that changes the... Um, that changes the whole meaning of everything. That's yeah. why the to be or not to be, to be or not to be, to be or not to be, right? <laughs> it's the classic stupid um, joke, but it's true. Like there's so many ways English can go right and wrong. And I think um, it's funny. I think you have to, in order to do RP, you have to kind of commit to almost sounding perfect at first, which no one is. And therefore you're going to sound really too predictable. Right, a little over the top. Too suspiciously good, Mm, right? Then you have to dirty it up a little. Then you have to find a way to build it back. And I think that's a good way to think. Don't take the pressure off yourself of sounding totally authentic straight away. Sound like the perfect RP and then mess it up. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Find the rules, then break them. Yes. Are there any sort of key sounds that I should know how to make if I want to do RP? Um... You, as an Australian? Um, oh, well, I mean, <laughs> if people can extrapolate from it, that would be great. But I'm just curious if there are any. Um, I think the goat the goat sound the goat sound is a pretty big one. Um, so I said goat. Like, why are you talking about goats, Nina? Um, <laughs> it's called lexical sets. Um, so um, in English, you know, we tend to group words together. And um, they tend to um, basically make friends with other words. And, you know, we have a pile of words that we kind of all lump together. For example, um, the word kit, um, mit, uh, lit. <laughs> that stuff is lit. Um, <laughs> that was lit. Um, it... Uh, sorry, I'm trying not to think of uh, just absolutely rude words. Um, <laughs> um, so, you know, mit, uh, flit, ship, um, integrate. That's a weird one. I, I, integrate. I know. Mm-hmm. It's a weird one. You're not actually rhyming the word. You're rhyming the vowel sound. sound yes. So then there's another group of words. The fleece set is what it's called. So E, cheese, tea, me, team. You would never, for example, as a native English speaker, you and I, would never say, uh, so the phrase is the ship, sorry, the sheep were on the ship. You'd never say the ship were on the sheep. 
Right. Right. Or the ship were on the ship or the sheep were on the sheep. But some languages might, like French, because they don't maybe have the is sound. They might go, um, the sheep was on the sheep. Right. That so didn't very... sound French. I'm just saying that. But yes. um, it did. But they get close together. They get close together. Right. Mm. And so, um, you know, you might you might do that. Um, so that's a big one. I think isolating, making sure if you are a non-native English speaker, making sure that you know how to isolate the difference between that kit and fleece sound is big. Um, it'll right. usually show up on words like it or um, in, I-N. Right in spelling, basically mm. short in between words always catch people out. The other one is ths. Oh um, yeah, ths That's are a big huge. One. Yeah, there's so many different ths. Mm-hmm. Rp though tends to stick between the teeth, so it it makes people feel like a very sassy snake. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> you can um, you just basically make this sound th or th. And one is voiced, which means you literally use your voice. Your well, if you put your hand on your throat, you can feel the vibration th. Um, and that's made with my tongue between the teeth. And the other one has no voice. It's just air. So that would be think versus that, right? Right. And so um, American English does this as well. And I believe Australian mostly does. But I don't know. It depends on the accent, you know. Um, I think so. Because you would never say – would you ever say, like, um, I think? No. No. I've never really heard Australians really vary on this one. No, I think that it's always a third. Yeah, although, guys, just so you know, in this country, for those of you who are non-native, this will not surprise anyone from this country. Um, you know, in, in this country, obviously, we have tons of TH variety. Yes. You might get tink, you might get fink, you might get brother, brother, mother, or you might get brother, brother. I don't know. You might get so many. It's yes. so fun. That's why this place is cool. Um, <laughs> but you might also get some in America, too. But you get a lot of variety here. So eventually, uh, maybe it'd be cool for you to experiment. Once you're advanced enough to kind of get the TH in the place you want, maybe then, like we said, mess around with it. Yeah. Um, but the main one to look out for um, is the one where you make the TH between against the teeth. Mm-hmm. Think, that, that, these, though. That's where you start to sound a little... I don't know, like just not English because right. we don't tend to do that unless you're Irish. You might go tink, that, that might do that. Right. But even that has some air, and that was exaggerated. I do apologize to the Ireland, <laughs> to the Ireland, <laughs> to Ireland, <laughs> to Ireland, <laughs> to, to, to all of it. Anyway, so <laughs> so you might get lots of um, you might get lots of air excess air on that one, which makes it a little different, but still. Yeah. I mean, those two things are a big one. Okay. Gosh, I have, I have Sorry, so much I could, to learn here. I literally just talked three hours about this. Apparently, I can keep going. <laughs> your, your passion is very inspiring. I want to ask you then about um, American. Because sure. when, I hear, when I hear the word general American, I have no clue what on earth that means. Ah, what marvelous. is general American? Where it does doesn't that come exist. From? <laughs> it's not a thing. I had it's, a feeling you were going to say that. Oh, it's like the first thing I say. So it's, um, <laughs> But it's hilariously, some of my colleagues over... Um, that I know in the United States, they have now started calling it so-called general American. Right. Um, it's, it's called standard American, general American, um, stage American. I don't know. I mean, it has a similar history to RP in the sense that it was really kind of drilled in by voice coaches at one point. Mm. Um, and But it just didn't catch on in the same way as it did here um, with, you know, the sort of class-based system differences we have and um, just, the, I think, the, the bigness of our country just didn't catch on. Yeah. Um, in general, though, we te- we do tend to revert back to this accent. In, we can find someone that sounds like me almost anywhere. And I would consider myself a pretty clear example of general American. Okay. Um, 
I'm advertised as that with my voiceover agency. And but I, to be clear, you're from the West Coast. You're to from be clear, I am Seattle. from the West Coast. Yeah. <laughs> West Coast, best coast. Does and, the, <laughs> <laughs> but does that like make a difference? Well, Is like, it from any from particular Seattle, like, bit? I'm, I might, yeah, like, I think if I was back in Seattle, I might start to slow down a bit, like, a bit more like that, and just, it doesn't sound like, I don't, well, okay, let's be clear, guys, I'm a trained actor, so there's also that, you know, I have lots of things coming into play, and I'm a singer, too, so I'm used to moving all the parts of my mouth and throat and stuff, and so it just, it it all works for me very easily, but uh, American, no, I mean, it's it's more like broadcast to standard American. Okay. You can find um, broadcast in sort of what we're used to in movies. It's funny because you'd actually, when you go to America, I find that I hear more people that sound like they're from the Midwest to the South and that weird, um, not weird at all, sorry, that border line between the two areas, kind of like around Chicago all the way, I don't know, it, it becomes... I don't know. It's like that sort of sort of spread sound where it kind of sounds almost vaguely southern a little bit as well, mm. that kind of thing. And it, everyone yes. kind of sounds like a little bit like they got that going on. But it's so <laughs> subtle, but so and it's kind of a BS thing what I just did. But it, it does work. And you can kind of hear it. You hear it in a lot of, I don't know, you hear it in a lot of people. But it's funny to me that no one knows that sound really. Mm. They associate that more with the South. Um, so, yeah, I mean, general American, I think it's what we've come to expect from... Hollywood. Right. Basically. Yeah. They've kind of us. like RP is what we've come to expect from apparently um, it's it's really it's really a hot topic. But you can talk about how the history of how we consider to be RP like to be the pinnacle of being understood. Right. But that's quite debatable. Yeah. Um, there's and nothing. it's a similar thing, but just an American version. Essentially. Essentially. But again, similar question. Like if I am trying to sound more American, yeah, is it sure. literally just like, I don't know. I've always heard it kind of having very open, round sounds of vowels, like A-E-I-O-U. Yeah, that's a good start. Not is bad. That, okay, well, I, like, I'm not American, obviously, as we've said, but I'm just <laughs> curious. Like, are they key sounds? Is it like hard R's? What, what do I Oh, yeah, for sure. To do? I mean, the R's are the main thing to talk about. Like, mm. the R's are everything, because especially from someone coming from over here to mm-hmm. over from over there, um, you know, we have what's called a non-rhotic accent here. Um, so you might drop R's at ends of words. Right. Mother, father, sister, brother. And you might drop them before a consonant. So in the word Margaret, because mm-hmm. the R-G, you might say Margaret. Ma, yeah. you wouldn't say Maget. <laughs> yes, because you can't afford that one. But um, anyway, so you drop R's kind of selectively here and in Australia, in Australia as, well. as well. Yeah, um, but not in Canada and not in the United States. Um, so you've got you know uh, Margaret and Jerry were very rowdy after drinking the terrible water. Is my magical phrase from the book How to Do Accents by Etta Sharp and Jan Hayden Riles. <laughs> and so um, that's a good one, and it works to kind of illustrate you know how crunchy those r's sounded they're just a lot of r's i mean can you try saying the word mother mother father father yeah gorgeous okay <laughs> and then and then then after you kind of just get over like putting an r into where you're not used to putting it in mm. that can be really weird for people then you have the discussion of well what r am i making because you could make many different r's you could go like mother father right. you could if you want to be dracula yeah <laughs> <laughs> or you can go mother mo- uh, mother father or you can go mother father uh, mother father uh, they all sound actually annoyingly similar now that i'm saying them all but i'm actually doing a different tongue position for each one right and 
in a longer phrase and in a longer sentence, it will reveal itself to sound weird as F. So right. and that's where most people get off on American is that they they kind of get off the mark is that they um, they don't do what's called a molar den- a molar. Re- Sorry, a molar bunched R. So the sides of your tongue come up to the top teeth mm-hmm. and the whole tongue goes backwards slightly. So, er, and your lips obviously round a little. Okay. Otherwise, you'd sound like a weirdo. You go, er. <laughs> <laughs> so you go like, hooray. And I'm literally feeling like the sides of my tongue are cupping the top a bit. Do you want to give it a go? Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh no. Wait, so I have to move my tongue. Yeah, yeah. So normally what I do for students is I ask them to imagine they have like a little pad of ink in front of them and I get their fingertips up Mm -hmm. and I get them to put their fingers in the pad of ink, put it up, put it on the sides of your tongue. Great. Now you have two little bits of white ink on your on your tongue, supposedly. Now we refresh. Good. Put them up. And now you have two new dots. Put them on the in. Put them on the top teeth, the back top teeth. So probably the literally the furthest back you can get on the top of your mouth. On the inside of your teeth, yeah. Great. And then join the dots. So the sides of the tongue come up to the top teeth. And then if you go her, the tongue will go backwards if you if you keep that shape, hopefully. Her. Yeah. That's it. Well done. And then, of course, the tongue. I'm not a trained actor. I should just point that out Well, now. she should be. <laughs> no, the temptation is always, I think, to curl the tip of the right. tongue. Yeah. To go her, like a pirate. Her. her. It's very Cornwall, yes. and um, it's a Cornish pirate thing, and um, Irish as well. That's mm-hmm. called a retroflexar. So right. you can do so many different things, but it'll make you sound totally different long term. Yes. And it'll also make you tired if you don't do the right thing, because honestly, um, I always say accents are like, um, like a Jenga tower. All the pieces help each other, and as soon as you don't have enough of them in place, it starts to get very wobbly and annoying. Yes. <laughs> and suspicious. And suspicious. <laughs> right, and that's where accents start to fail a bit halfway through. Yeah, where there aren't enough pieces in place to keep it stable, yeah. basically, and so it falls off into another one or whatever. Right. Do you have any advice in terms of um, switching quickly? Because I know that's another sort of Ooh. key concern for actors, particularly when it comes to the audition scenario. Um, oh, right. So a lot of people really freak out about the idea of like I am British and I've just got to walk into a room and be American. It's pretty. Um, how it's do I pretty switch mean quickly? Of, of casting agents, um, if, if they <laughs> if if they do it to them last minute, I have to say because it's quite an ask. That said, there are some annoying, amazing people who are very good at, at switching quickly. So why wouldn't casting agents think, oh, I can ask it of actors? It yeah. should be a thing. Yeah. Um, it is important to remember it is a big ask, but maybe training that transition at home is always a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, annoyingly, you kind of have to first go slow in establishing the accent itself first. So you do have to go through the whole process of properly learning the actual American or the Irish or the Scottish or whatever it is. And then um, what I would probably do is if you know for a fact you're going to have to switch quickly, um, like your agents just pre-warned you about this, Mm -hmm. um, or you just see clearly it's an American script and you probably want to come in and introduce yourself normally because you don't want to come in like a fraud, like an American. Right. Right. <laughs> I know that some, some, some agents recommend that. I yeah. know, I know. But I always wonder, do you think that works well? or It seems to vary, the advice that we've heard. Like some people really like it, but some people find it very off-putting in the sense that they don't want to then find out, oh my God, you were, you were British the whole time. You weren't American at all. Or alternatively, they want to ask you some questions like, how are you? What do you, you know, how Where are you, are you from? Yes, where are you from? 
from exactly? And you're just like, in an American accent, I'm Bristol or whatever. And it's just like, that's not convincing. Uh, so I think it kind of varies, which is why. Yeah, that's. I think that's probably one of the most confusing things I get actors asking me. Yes. As because I do a lot of private client work as well, and I prep people a lot of times. I probably for spotlight, um, but, it's, <laughs> but it's um it's uh it's one of the most confusing things. Um, I would basically say though, because I do train this a lot, is basically finding a really strong key trigger phrase okay so you know let's say you you really just don't want to deal with the whole thing of i'm american walking in you want to be yourself you want to be presentable you want to like show them you're human so you come in and you say hi blah 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 and then they're like whenever you're ready and you need to take the bravery moment of actually getting yourself into the accent really quick okay so what I usually recommend is some kind of trigger phrase um, so that means like a phrase that easily kind of gets you into the sounds um, I don't know like um, like man what are you saying like my bad chula Mexican accent for my family <laughs> and um, and uh, you might get that one so or you might get like hey you wait forget about it from New York right, right. or you might do like um I'm very, very happy, sort of thing, for the crown, sort of sound. Um, you might get that. Um, you know, I would, you basically have to commit to that thing we described at the very beginning, which is just being brave with sounding weird. And you're not giving yourself the time to sound foolish um, privately. But here's another thing you could do um, you could train yourself to actually whisper that trigger phrase, because a lot of times you can actually really successfully do accent work without any sound at all. Oh, right. So, just like, whispered. Yeah, like, if I whisper, I'm and if I change over to RP, I could do that as well. And I could also do Scottish like that. It doesn't really actually vary. It doesn't, yes. It's weird. You don't think about it, but you don't need sound to do it. To so you can it. warm up the what's called articulators, all the things in your mouth that get things moving. You can warm up the pattern silently if you have to. But um, maybe just practice that transition with turning away from people so you don't look like the devil. And then come <laughs> back. Yes. You're not possessed. Like, Hello. <laughs> Freaky whisper to yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so I want to ask you then, if I'm trying to tackle um, a really random different accent for the first time, sure. what's your process for helping a client like break that down? Right. So, well, typically if someone's Typically, if someone's come to me, right, they paid for me to break it down. Yes. So usually, but then I essentially have to re-break it down in a much more, um, in a much more minimalistic way to them because I've gone through my whole nerd fest of breaking down all the linguistic amazingness of it and I've you know probably filled out all the lexical sets and I've made too many diacritic marks and you don't even know what I'm talking about anymore that's how nerdy I am right so I've done all that I need to be easier for you though so I might first ask you okay do you know international phonetic alphabet you might very likely say no. Or if you trained at a conservatoire, you might say yes, and you might be kind of lying and say, I was told once, but I certainly don't remember. And so all that info is good for me. I'm actually not judging. I just need to know. And then um, if you don't know, I might like just create little symbols or hand gestures to help you recall. What I often do for people when I'm teaching them um, a breakdown of the accent is first getting them to listen. Mm-hmm. So you listen. If you can't hear it, you probably can't replicate it. Right. So we do need to make sure you can hear the difference. Um, uh, you know, for example, I don't know, Russian versus you, right? Mm-hmm. Might do that. So you can hear Russian versus something else. Cool. You can? Awesome. If it's Russian, let's say, I might get you to actually listen to Russian and mimic Russian because a Russian person coming into English, if we're trying to do that a sort of uh, – 
accented. If you're trying to take elements of Russian into English,、mm-hmm. then it's important to know where you're starting from. I won't linger there too long because most people look at me suspiciously, going, "I don't want to learn Russian," and I'm like, "I know." So like, just <laughs> bear with me. So we go through it, and.、Um, Once they've done just a little warm up of that, maybe learn a phrase or two. Right,、mm-hmm. it helps. Then you start to learn. Then you start to take that without thinking too hard about it into English, and you're like, "Oh, what did my mouth want to do?" Then you quickly go, "Okay, now literally, what do most people do?" It's probably a lot of it. It really varies based on the accent, but you might handle key consonants, key vowels, then apply them to a phrase, and of course,、um, once you get to the phrase, maybe then talk about melody. Unless it's one of those accents that is so obvious, like Welsh, right,、um, or like Irish, where you have to talk about it straight away because it's like the most interesting thing, right?、Um, so you know, you kind of just—I kind of tend to go with whoever is in front of me.、Mm-hmm. If they're really super jazzed on like talking about melody, well, then we talk about. Melody, because maybe that's their way in.、Yes. Maybe that's their trigger phrase to sing song. It. Maybe、uh, they really need to get the breakdown first before having an opinion. Maybe they need to not think at all and just go straight into the text. I don't know. It really does vary,、mm. but I will usually provide them a breakdown regardless. Right. So it really is much more about where is that person at and what helps them get into it, and kind of proceeding from that point to totally getting from A to Z, as you said before. Well, right. I mean, and I think everyone comes comes to me because they, some part of their process, ha- either they're not confident because it's really important, and or, or they're confident but they want to make sure because it's really important,、mm-hmm. or. Part of their process is is missing an element that I can provide, right? So let's say they're really good at just jumping in confidently to a good old Yorkshire accent,、right. but from my sit from my seat, I'm noticing they're not consistently doing some sounds, but they don't literally know how to be analytical enough to sit down and pluck them out of the text.、Yeah. That's my job, right, right? Right. So I might just kind of compliment what you bring.、Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah, <laughs> I have so much to learn on this subject. Oh, it's so much fun! It's it a random one, though, isn't it? Oh, you it's great. Think、though. about it. I, I want to ask you then about. I mean, well, I mean, let's just take you today for an example. You have been talking all day about all this, and、yep. uh, one thing that you did mention in your sessions is about、uh, like vocal health, and I kind of wanted to. Ask you about that. Like, what, are there good ways to make sure that you're not just losing your voice, particularly when you might be performing? I don't know, two shows a day, every day for a year or something. Like, you've got to keep that voice going.、Um, what do you do? I mean, hydration and sleep are the things I obviously have to say first.、Mm-hmm. Um, make sure, making sure that you've, you know, make sure that your body. We're, you know, we're an instrument that feels and ingests. Food,、yes. and you know we we have feelings, and we're affect our instruments affected by that.、Um, a piano doesn't care if it's it, a piano's not sad, right? And so, and, but if we're sad, we might be affected by that. So, I think it's important to take care of yourself first. Is the first thing you have to say.、Mm. But then, once you're sorted. Then you have to kind of think about training. Now, this is this is why people go to like three year training programs to kind of figure that out.、Um, If it depends on the person,、um, if you are used to、um, speaking for long stretches of time with no no issues, you've likely found some good solutions to maintaining that. What I I think for me personally, a huge element of that for me is kind of knowing when something starts to hurt, you have to make an adjustment.、Mm. It's knowing your limits. Um, so. Um, For example, today I'm recovering from a cold, which 
like felled me for the last week. Um, it for once affected my voice on probably the worst thing. And I, I had to warm up for the first time this morning. Right. And I was like really delicately doing some NGs um, uh, in the bathroom as you do. And so, um, you know, the acoustics are great. <laughs> so I was doing that and I was realizing, oh, gosh, I don't really have much of an upper range. But you know what? For speaking, not such a big deal. But I knew that about this point now... Probably adrenaline is keeping me going right now, but mm-hmm. long term, I wouldn't want to be in this position. I can feel my tongue root being a little tight. I can feel um, a little bit of tiredness creeping in and, and fatigue. And essentially what that what the body's then telling me is rest. And yes. that's another thing is rest is really important. Absent of knowing technique, you really just have to be really fit. Uh, fit is in the sense that you just have to be really kind of um, – well, you just have to be on it and take care of yourself. But technique wise, doing good warm ups is going to do a massive big thing. I mean, um, for you, it's going to be first of all, you can warm up with hums. Mm-hmm. So you can go mm, like little ups and downs in your range. You can probably hear the fluttering in my sound that proves I'm tired. Um, you can go mm, and that break is a perfect example, actually, of inflammation in my vocal folds because of my sickness. Enjoy TMI oh, voice. Dear. But don't worry about it. The point is, is that that's what happens, though. And yeah. so that's fine. It, it'll be fine. It just it needs time to recover. Um, I actually have a steamer with me. Yes, I've seen your lovely steaming device. Yeah, <laughs> I was saying it looks a little bit more suspicious than a steamer, but it um, it is a steamer. And what you do is you just put kettle water into it, um, hot kettle water, and you, you kind of be careful, don't make it too hot. And you just kind of breathe in and out and it kind of re hydrates you. I've, I've personally found it to be quite lovely, although some people don't like don't like them. Um, so anyway, warming yourself up, keeping hydrated. Um, the warm-ups can include hums. They can include going up and down your comfortable range. What I actually usually find is quite helpful for people is warming up what's called resonance. Now, resonance is a little bit weird. It basically means vibration. And what that means is we want to create a nice buzzy quality to the sound. And how that's achieved is by counterintuitively relaxing muscles. So you could basically, don't overthink it, you could cup your hands together, put them in front of your face, and hum kind of really softly into it. Now, what I usually recommend at this stage is figuring out how, first of all, close um, and far away your hands should be because you don't want to, like, deaden your sound. You also don't want to be too far away. Then you're not doing anything. Um, So you hum, and you might start to relax the tongue, the back of the throat the jaw, the face, the facial muscles. We have so many muscles in our face. Um, You might even start to chew the hum. So it might sound like this, like just to test that you're not gripping anything. Mm -hmm. And then you might go up and down your range. Maybe try it on an NG with with no chewing. But basically, we're trying to check in with any excess tension because tension in um, the face and the vocal tract is going to cause fatigue. Um, So that's why a lot of times people talking about keeping it wide and open, um, keeping it relaxed. And yeah, I think it's just about constantly checking in. Unfortunately, I could call, I could obviously talk about this for hours <laughs> or years, as you do. Yeah. Um, so, but really, um, you know, maybe checking out some some books. There's some really good ones um, done by the National Theater, as well as RADA have produced some. They have some really lovely ones. I think the David Carey and Barbara Houseman ones are especially useful. Mm-hmm. There are some amazing ones from obviously um, widely, highly regarded pedagogues like, um, you know, uh, 
Kristen Linklater and um, Catherine Fitzmorris, I believe, is coming out with one. And then I do love my Knight Thompson speech work as well. Yes. I sound like I have a crazy library. I do. And um, <laughs> it's, true. it's true. And um, no, but I, I think um, Barbara Houseman and uh, David and Rebecca Carey um, are probably better for actors because they actually time their accent time. Sorry, time their work literally in their books. So mm. and they come with videos. Right. So those are nice. Um, I think Barbara Houseman now comes with a uh, an MP3 pack. So hooray. Um Otherwise, I mean, no, it's just it's just about getting your voice moving, honestly. Yeah. You know, you can't expect that if, like, you know, you sat around all day at a desk, you can't just get up and suddenly lunge, um, I don't, <laughs> get up and lunge, get up and, like, do a, I don't know, a dance with any sort of grace. You have right. to do warm up into to it. It's up. the same. Yeah, for it's sure. literally the same. I feel like I need to now allow you to rest. So I'm only going to ask you one more question. <laughs> and that question is about confidence. Because sure. I think it's one thing about maintaining and keep taking care of yourself, but really feeling like you own a different voice. Do you have any final advice for actors on that front? Confidence. I think confidence can be earned and often confidence isn't. I think a lot of people have a good experience of someone who clearly shouldn't have been confident about something but just was and you're kind of an envious of them anyway. And I think I, I've always been in the other boat where I've always been too analytical and I've always been that person that's like, well, I have to get everything perfect. Otherwise, it isn't going to be good and therefore I'm never going to be confident. But actually, I think I think everyone's different. And I think you have to find a way of of meeting yourself head on, perhaps in private first. Try some of these exercises at home first. Don't do them in front of others, you know, have a little minute to yourself and then bring them into a real space. But I think the thing is you have to keep challenging yourself and that challenging will make your body and mind that much smarter. You'll remember that. Um, I remember I used to be terrified of singing in front of others and I used to have the most hilarious twitches I used to conduct myself with one of my hands and my teacher got very good at throwing pencils at it but um (laughs) (laughs) anyway um so I did that and um and and now you know then eventually I could relax enough where I was fine with being in front of others so my body didn't feel the need to twitch but that was a learned experience yeah sometimes you just need to to not force but kind of allow yourself to be messy and lovely and a little bit unpredictable even to yourself and honestly I think half the time that's what we love about actors and you know that's what makes us human is this variable unpredictive quality about us so you know don't worry about being perfect um worry about being truthful and worry about you know um actually committing to the work you're doing Mm. because I think a lot of times also anxiety comes into play when we're too focused on ourselves and not on the work yes for sure. Nina, you're such a joy. If people want to find you, where can they find you online? <laughs> well, uh, thank you. Um, I uh, have a website, ninazvoice.com. And I'm also, it's also my Twitter handle. Um, so it's Nina Z Voice. And um, I would be very happy to hear from any of you. Fabulous. Thank you so much, Nina. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much. So lovely to talk. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Spotlight Podcast. That's all for now from the home of casting. Just a reminder that we'll be asking for your questions for upcoming podcasts. So follow us on Instagram or on Twitter at Spotlight UK. Or if you've got any other questions or people you'd like us to speak to, drop us an email at questions at spotlight.com.